0: You know, listen, there is a sales aspect to it, even if you're relationship driven first. And I think ultimately, the more that we know about our clients and the more connected we are, uh, the deeper we can dive, the more comfortable they're going to feel with us and the more problems we're going to be able to solve. I'm Ian Harvey from New York City, and
1: you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers and the lives of their clients.
2: In today's episode, Lawrence Sprung CFP joins Hannah for discussion about Lawrence's firm, Midland Financial, and why relationship building within the profession is a cornerstone of their work. Up next, they'll discuss having a niche in the profession, prioritizing relationships before sales, and how social media has helped Lawrence's business. But first, this episode is powered by… If you are like most advisors, you probably get lots of questions about Medicare. After all, for many, Medicare is complicated, confusing, and leaves them with more questions than answers. Even for an experienced advisor, Medicare can be challenging, but it's an important key to financial well-being. United Healthcare is proud to team up with FPA to provide their members with help and information they need around Medicare. To learn more about how United Healthcare can help get your Medicare questions answered, call Bruce Lindsay at 920-661-4808.
1: Well, thank you for joining us today, Lawrence.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I am so excited that you're here. Um, and you started in the business in 1996, which in some ways, doesn't feel that long ago. In other ways, it does. So it's, perspective is a funny thing. But I am curious, you know, when you first started versus a new planner coming today, what are the similarities or differences that you faced with what new planners are facing today?
0: Yeah, Hannah, that's a great question. I I think that there are a lot of similarities and uh, a lot of differences. And I think there are probably at this point more differences than similarities. Um, When I started back in 1996, uh, we were given basically a stack of cards and told to start cold calling. And I was making you know five, six seven hundred dials a day. I was the traditional smile and dial, and um you know in some ways, it was not a lot of fun, but in other ways, it was very educational because it taught me you know how to accept rejection very easily and was really uh, helpful later on in my uh, in my career and so I think yep,
1: yeah. I just have a question did it work? Like when you're doing that many number of phone calls, like, did you actually get clients out of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was truly a numbers game. You know, they really had, you know, these were organizations that were really sales driven. So they had the numbers down. Basically, you made 500 dials a day, you'd talk to 50 people that they would actually pick up, you'd have a quick conversation with them. And 10 of those people, uh, five to 10 of those people would actually turn into more meaningful conversations. And perhaps perhaps uh, a sale. It was more sales oriented at that point than relationship driven. Uh, but this was before a lot, you know, caller ID was really prevalent, call blocking. So it was a lot easier to get in touch with people. Today, I, I don't, you know, that's a major difference. I don't see how anybody could really build a career uh, using those same methods that I used back uh, back then.
1: What are some of the similarities with what you went through versus what new planners are going through?
0: Sure. I think similarities are, you know, this is a relationship business. It was a relationship business back then, it's a relationship business still today. Uh, the main, the, you know, the difference there is how you get there. It was predominantly through telephone back then. Uh, now the relationship, I think, is really driven, um, you know, in person and building a personal relationship that not only involves, you know, speaking with people over the phone, but also utilizing other channels, whether it be email or, or um, uh, texting or any other form of communication like a a newsletter. So I think the the main point is it's still a relationship business. People are not going to trust you to manage their hard-earned money unless you have a relationship and a level of trust. And that was very similar to what we saw back then. I think it was more difficult to build that trust back then because all you had back then was a telephone to do it. Uh, Now there are so many other methods that can be used to help build that relationship. Social media, for example, is a great one. People could get to know you before they even ever meet you.
1: You said that you were focused on, you know, it was very much a sales game when you first started, but I know that today you're much more financial planning focused. And so I'm curious what that process was for you. What, what kind of made you focus? And I know your firm is a financial planning first firm, but what was that pivot point for you or what did that look like?
0: Yeah. So it took me a couple of years to get there. Um, I, I enjoyed my time in this sales-oriented environment, uh, mainly because it taught me skills that I did not get anywhere else. It wasn't anything that I learned in college or 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 even through the CFP program, for example. Uh, you know, these were skills that I really uh were, were learning you know, on on the front lines from, from a sales perspective. And it took me a few years to develop those sales skills. And as I started working with people and working in larger firms, I came to realize that a lot of the larger firms were talking about this relationship building, relationship business. But ultimately what they really were concerned with was how much revenue were you driving for the entity for the firm, um, and I found this dichotomy of, "Hey, we want you to build relationships in order to build a you know quote unquote book of business, uh, but at the same time, you know we need to see revenue, and to me, I felt that that was somewhat conflicting because to me, it may take a longer time to build a relationship that may build some additional uh, business with that client, and it may take time for that revenue to come. And I, I felt like trying to get them both done at the same time was somewhat difficult and contradictory. So, you know, after you know, a couple of years of learning this and and seeing it and, and refining my skills, I really decided that I needed to make a transition, move away from a larger entity that, you know, had some ties to different products or services that they were looking to uh, engage clients with and really go independent and put the client first and really be concerned with building the relationship. Because I've always been of the mindset of if you build the relationship, the revenue and everything else that you want the business to perform will come. If you don't build the relationship, what ends up happening is you have a revenue stream that's going to be very unpredictable, and you'll probably have uh, clients and prospects that won't engage with you. So it's always been this thought process, build the relationship, invest in that relationship, and the revenue will come and, and what the business goals are will be reached.
1: And so I'm curious, like when you talk about being relationship focused, cause you can still be in sales and have relationship focus mm-hmm. for you. was that more, is that kind of where you started like diving into the other areas of, of your client's lives?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to. I, you know, I, I don't. You know, listen. What we do is there is a sales aspect to it, even if you're relationship driven first. Um, but I think a lot of the a, a lot of firms out there, especially the larger ones, are really sales focused first, relationship second. And I wanted to be relationship first, sales second, uh, because I feel that that will come organically as a as a result of that. And I think ultimately the more that we know about our clients and the more connected we are, uh, the deeper we can dive, the more comfortable they're going to feel with us and the more problems we're going to be able to solve. It's it's hard to solve problems if you don't have that connection with your client and know what their situation is. Uh, it's hard to you know, navigate and or help them navigate, identify those problems that they could potentially have. Uh, but the deeper relationship you have with them, the more open they're going to be with you in letting you know what their concerns are, and then it makes our job more fruitful because we're able to help them navigate those uh, those problems.
1: So you started your own firm, Midland Financial, and how long ago was? How long ago did you start that?
0: So, Mitlin started in 2004. So, this past October, uh, we celebrated our 15-year anniversary.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. Mitlin, how did you come up with that name?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. It's one we get uh, quite often. It's actually one of the um, most viewed uh, clips or or Mitlin minutes that we have on our website. Mitlin, M I T basically came from my wife's grandfather's name, Mitchell, and L-I-N came from my mother's name, which was Linda. And uh, crazy enough, uh, back in 1997, both of them passed away uh, within several hours of each other. They didn't know each other. And I didn't know my wife at the time uh, to know her grandfather. But ironically enough, they so they passed away within several hours of each other. And within a couple of months of that, I ended up meeting my wife, Um, so, you know, there's a story that goes around that maybe, uh, they met somewhere and, uh, brought us together. And when I was looking to, uh, create a firm and build the firm, I said, what better way to, uh, memorialize these two great people who were, you know, great people, really kind and generous, very similar in their natures and name the firm after them and bring that family element, uh, to my firm. Uh, because, you know, I'm a family guy. We, we work with a lot of clients that typically are family oriented as well. And uh, we thought it was a great way to memorialize their memory and at the same time, more or less set the tone for what type of firm uh, we were looking to build.
1: I know that's the most viewed page on your website. How do your clients respond to that story?
0: They love it. Um, you know, most, uh, I, I will tell you, probably it's also one of the most asked questions. So what ends up happening is with prospective clients, um, they either will, you know, do their recon on us in advance of meeting us um, and they'll stumble upon the the video and the story that we have on our website um, or. They'll ask about it in the first meeting, like, you know, where, where does Midland come from? And we'll tell them the story. The, you know, the funny thing is time and time again, we probably have more people that do their recon in advance and see the video. And I would say probably 90 to 95% of our prospective clients that come in and do that always make a mention of it and you know, are proactive in saying, hey, I was on your website and I saw the video about how you came up with the name of the firm. It's really touching and I, I really appreciate it. It's really a great way to come up with a name. And Others that we go through the story with them in person uh, feel very touched. You know, they, it kind of gives them a sense of they're working with a firm that is family oriented and it gives them a level of uh, comfort, I, I feel.
1: Were you nervous about using that name?
0: Not at all. I didn't even think twice about it. Um, it, Actually, what ended up happening is several years before that, my wife was uh, forming her own company and we had talked about utilizing that name for her. Uh, so it's something that we had talked about for several years and it wasn't a good fit for her situation. And then when I, uh, came up and and knew that I was going to be launching my new entity, we went right back to it and we said, you know, what a great fit this would be for a financial planning firm, family oriented. It would be a great time to utilize it for, uh, my needs and, and my firm. So, uh, we jumped on it. So, and there was no hesitation really.
1: So when you started your own firm, did you start from zero or did you, were you able to bring clients from where you were previously?
0: Yeah, I was able to um, bring clients from where I was uh, previously. I was at a larger entity that was in the process of, of uh, being bought out. And um, quite frankly, there was a lot of commotion there. So I, I was able to bring over a, a, a small base to, uh, to start the practice.
1: You know, one of the things that's talked a lot about is niches. And so I'm curious, did you have a niche that you wanted to focus on when you first started?
0: So the answer to that question is no. Um, because of the, you know, the um, the entity that I came from, we were, they did not have a niche. So the, you know, the, the clients and the assets that we started working with initially, um, there was not, you know, there was really no commonality between, the clients that we could say hey you know looking at our book of business or our, our our clients this is a an area that we have you know 30 40% of our clients fit into this category and we could create a niche from it so you know we didn't have that you know homogeneous pool if you will so what we 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 had talked over the years from a number of people who encourage us, you know, you should really find a niche. Everybody talks about niches and we tried to focus on certain areas and, and quite frankly, it felt for, forced. And I didn't feel like I had a real dedication to, uh, the niches that we were trying to implement. Um, so, you know, we started searching to see if there were other ways that we could develop that, uh, you know that niche environment but it, it just didn't work for us to try to implement you know a strategy and say hey we're going to you know we're interested in doctors so let's you know try to work with doctors we tried it it didn't really work well for us um you know in that capacity
1: what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah so i think a niche really has to be something that you're very passionate about I think it has to be, I think it's better if it's something that's organic uh, in nature. Um, You know, to some degree, I would say we right now do have a couple of niches, um, but they were things that kind of came up organically. They weren't ones that we said we were going to just focus on. Um, You know, one of them happens to be working with uh, authors in the romance field. Uh, it's. I know it's probably a very narrow niche, uh, but um, you know we were led down that path again organically. We. Uh, I'm involved with a nonprofit that we do a lot of fundraising for, and we have a group of authors every year during the month of May that donate a portion of their proceeds uh, towards uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We have a uh, memorial fund set up for my brother-in-law, Keith Milano, there, and they donate a portion of their proceeds. Uh, so organically, over time, because of this relationship that we had... Um, we ended up working with a number of authors in the romance field. So I I think that rather than trying to say, hey, this is a great niche, let's focus on it. I think you really have to look at where you're most comfortable and where organically you think you can kind of fit into those niche areas that might work for you.
1: I love that story because it was something that you cared about that you were going to do anyway. You didn't I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but you didn't do that to garner business. You did it because it was important to you and and you wanted just to do it. And then business came out of that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I I very infrequently do anything with looking at getting business first. Typically, there's some other root cause or, or root reason for me doing something. And then organically, if business comes from it, Fantastic, if not, then it wasn't really the intention anyway, so there's really nothing lost in uh, in doing what I do because because uh, I wanted to do it from the outset.
1: What would be your advice and know for somebody who is starting a firm from zero or somebody who is um in a role they've they've kind of moved up. They've been promoted a handful of times and now they're having to do a business development role um, within their existing firm. What would be your advice to them?
0: I think that, you know, it depends on what their background is. I I think that there is a lot of value in getting at least some solid sales training, right? If you're going to go into that business development role, uh, although, you know, I spoke earlier that I, I didn't feel like you should be sales first, which I don't. Uh, but having that background and that knowledge and that training is is extremely helpful. Um, you know, and how you use it can be a difference maker. So I think that's something I would consume anything and everything I could regarding the sales process, the relationship building process. Um, and that's something that you should. Uh, really incorporate as you enter or even prior to entering that business development role. I, I feel to, to some degree, we're all salespeople in a way we're selling ourselves, whether we're selling ourselves to our manager, manager, the owner of our company, the firm, our friends, or family, we're, we're selling. So you want to have that sales background. Uh, you have to have a thick skin and be able to, uh, Hear no because you're going to hear no far more than you hear yes. Uh, and thirdly, I would say persistence is definitely key. Uh, you have to be persistent and be able to, you know, um, take a situation and even when you're said no, evaluate whether there's going to be a further opportunity that you should be persistent and go back there. Um, and, and try to reengage people, uh, because sometimes you may just have gotten them at the wrong time, wrong facts, wrong circumstances. And if you reengage them later on, um, it, it'll be very helpful. Um, so I, I think that those are probably three things that I would focus on initially that I, I think would be very helpful for them moving into that role
1: you know, one of the things that I've come to really realize is, you know, people have different backgrounds. They have different skill sets. They have different training. They have different experience that they're bringing to the table. And it's really being aware that self-awareness of like, what is it, what, what do I have that's going to help me in this role? But also what don't I have? Like what, what skills do I need to go develop and find? Um, because like you said, somebody who's been in sales, maybe they need to go fi- like find more training on how to do financial planning well. Or somebody who has a strong financial planning background, it could be, you know, in in sales or it can be a whole host of different um, other options.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I also would say that, you know, just because you want to be in the financial planning field uh, doesn't mean that you have to be a, uh, for lack of a better term, a frontline advisor. Uh, you know, there are some great roles in this industry uh, that you can be extremely successful uh, financially and life and otherwise uh, within the industry without having to be on the front lines and selling and building those relationships to uh, be that rainmaker. Uh, there are a lot of roles that are available, and it's a matter of finding out what role within the industry is going to be the best fit for you, and then refining that and honing, honing that skill to be the best you possibly can be. Um, it doesn't have to be you being the rainmaker at a firm. You know, there are plenty of other options out there. And I think a lot of folks go into this thinking that they want to be the rainmaker of the firm uh, because they feel that that's going to be their, uh, the mo- maybe the most lucrative position. And it really doesn't have to be that way.
1: Well, one thing you alluded to is one of the big differences in today's today's world for new financial planners is the presence of social media and how the internet has really changed the game. And so when I go to your website, I can't help but notice you have quite a few videos up. And so I'm curious to hear um, kind of what have you done in the in that social media space or in that online marketing space with your firm?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that anybody who's in the industry today um, has to be out there and has to have a social media presence. Um, You know, I've had one for a long time, uh, but at the same time, I've probably in the last maybe two to three years really boosted it up um, and we're across all platforms. So a a couple of things that we do, uh, we typically will post an article of interest every day uh, that is one area which will go on all social media platforms. Uh, we also uh, usually every other week, uh, we will write a blog article uh, regarding a topic of interest. Uh, and then every other week in between, we try to post uh, what, we, what we've termed uh, Midland Minute, Uh, which is basically a short video. We try to keep it to a minute. Uh, Sometimes we go over and, you know, we'll focus on financial and non-financial topics. So for example, um, you know, recently we posted one on what is the S&P? We hear about it every day on CNBC. Clients hear about it. Do they really know what The S&P 500 is. Uh, So we do a quick video on that. Uh, We'll be filming a video shortly because uh, we're in the month of May right now and it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So I'll be posting a video about Mental Health Awareness Month and uh, some of uh, our firm's fundraising efforts behind that. Uh, So it's non-financial and financially related. And I think you also have to be out there and engaging. You have to look for other people who are writing, talking about, and posting engaging com- uh, content and comment and engage with them. It's a, it's a great tool. You can build relationships. Um, one of the other things that we've done that has been successful for us is, um, I, I've kind of incorporated my personal life a little bit. I could give you two parts. One is, uh, I grew up playing hockey. I still do. And, uh, my kids are very actively involved in travel hockey, which takes us all over North America. And, um, About a year or so ago, my son scored a championship winning goal, and we posted the video on LinkedIn. Uh, Long story short, we ended up getting about 12,000 views. Uh, I ended up getting, uh, we ended up building two new relationships with new clients for the firm from that video. Um, And in addition to that, we had people who are other people in the hockey community started guessing what rink. My son scored that goal at, so I said, you know what? I think we have something here, and I started filming short videos at every rink that I went to with my sons. And starting this past September, we started filming. What guess what rink Larry's at? And basically, I film a you know thirty second to one minute video at a rink somewhere in North America. Uh, we posted online on Tuesday. By the following Monday, we take all the right answers and um, pull a winner out of the hat, and we make uh, the firm would make a hundred dollar donation to their charity, the winner's charity of choice, and in their name. So um, basically, every other week we're pulling a winner making a donation and we've gotten very good response from people and we've built some and started some great relationships uh, with this from people in the hockey community, which, you know, going back to our conversation earlier, is a niche, uh, quote unquote, uh, but it's something that I'm passionate about, involved with every day. And there are certainly planning issues and financial issues within the hockey community. So it's become another natural niche for us. Um, And then the second piece that we did, I did personally was last year, I went on a safari. Uh, we, uh, my family and I went to South Africa and we went on a safari. And basically every stop along the way, I'd film a one or two minute video about the location we were in and where we were. And um, when I came home, We basically uh, started posting those every other week. I think we ended up with like 12 videos. So we ended up with 24 weeks of content. And people really enjoyed seeing where we were going and the different places. Um, And, you know, so going back to your question, I think it's important for you to be out there, um, not necessarily from a business standpoint, you know, but from a credibility standpoint. And it really allows your clients current clients, and potential clients to really learn about you and see what you're all about. And uh, it really may make it a lot easier at some point if they see you 5, 10, 15 times you know, chances are they might reach out to you and say when, when something may not be ideal for them and say, hey, can you help me out? I have a question about X, Y, Z. And um, it really can build relationships. And I think it's really key for anybody in this industry to really have a, uh, a social media presence out there.
1: Okay, we do audio here, but video is another ballgame. Did you just start? I mean, like, <laughs> was there like a hurdle for you to overcome to start recording those videos? Or what did that look like for you?
0: Yeah. You know what? No, there was no hurdle. It was just a matter of pulling the trigger and doing it. Um, If you scroll through our website and go to some of the very early on Midland Minutes, um, you can tell they're not really well produced, and that was kind of on purpose. They were basically filmed on a uh, on an iPhone. Uh, really, you know, nothing crazy. And I press start, and I do a little quick editing with it. And um, a lot of them had the same background. I, I did it in front of our firm logo, and then I started realizing that when you started watching the videos, you really couldn't tell you know, if one was different than the other, because the background was the same. So if you looked at week one and week four, you couldn't even tell that they might be different videos because the background was the same. So we started, uh, you know, I moved that from just an iPhone to a, a tripod and an iPad with a light. And, you know, we've moved into different things along the way and we've refined the process. Um, one of the things that I and we we changed the background, so I'll film them outside sometimes or in my house or in the office in a different location um, because it's key. And, you know, we've refined things along the way. Uh, originally, we didn't have closed captioning. We added that because um, I can remember exactly. I did a video. Um, I think it was for when I played, I, I played in a fundraiser with the Israeli national hockey team and uh, somebody saw my video and they said, oh, hey, you look good in that Israeli hockey jersey. And I said, oh, what did you think of the uh, the content? He goes, oh, I didn't listen to it. He goes, I just saw you in the in the jersey. So I was like, well, you know what? Most people probably, are maybe, you know, at work, just seeing the video, not they don't want to turn on their volume. Uh, we got to add closed captioning. So it's been an evolutionary process, and we've gotten better. The one thing that I will not change is I don't want it to be highly produced. I don't want it to have uh, this. Um, this cachet that we are having a production company edit it. I, I want it to really be like, it's a personal video uh, for people to see and that we're not, you know, cleaning it all up. I want it to be somewhat raw in that, in that uh, fashion. Cause I think it resonates uh, better than being more commercial. Like
1: what do you see as next from just like a, a, a marketing or media perspective, or even just, or even just your firm at large.
0: That's a good question. So the next uh, the next uh, marketing piece on our horizon um, is we will probably by the end of uh, Q three of this year of twenty twenty uh, we are going to be launching a podcast. Um, so uh, and it's going to be it's not going to be for other advisors. It will be for our clients and and prospects and just people out there in general. Um, and we're going to be talking about financial. Uh, topics as well as non-financial topics, uh, especially you know we found with these relationships that we're building as people start nearing or entering retirement, uh, you know they're not really they're planning for the money part of it, but a lot of them are not planning for the non-financial aspect of it. Like, what am I going to do in retirement? How am I going to spend those 40 hours a day? Uh, But next on our horizon is a podcast. We also wanted to do video at the same time, uh, but we were we were kind of coerced uh, initially to just start out with the audio and perhaps look to add the video uh, later on. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm also toying around with the idea of a book, um, which may be in the works soon, but, you know, I'm always looking for more ways to get our name and, you know, again put it out there about who we're about so people will have the ability I I think it's very clear going back to like one of our original questions one of the major differences Today versus when I started in the business, people have a much better ability, clients, prospective clients have a much better ability to find out about you and know what you're about before they even come in the door. And I think a lot of our marketing has to go to that in order to give them that baseline on what we're about and hopefully show them what we're about to drive them uh, to make an appointment and and come meet with us and see if we're a good fit for them uh which is something we talk about all the time so we're always looking for more ways to start building that baseline with people uh so they can become familiar with us know what we're about and then you know get in touch with us and hopefully come in for and is there a fit meeting with us
1: i i just love it the client is really like the focus of this it's you know how do we provide the most value to our clients um, and i think i think that's just really powerful thank you what would be your advice to new planners as they're starting in the profession
0: i think that that's another great question i i think that if you know if i was entering the business today i i think that uh, you know the advice that i would give to myself today knowing what i know is you know, you have to go into this with an open mind. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, just because you're getting in the business and you think you want to be an advisor, um, that's great. Don't uh, mini- you know, minimize or mitigate that, uh, that thought. Uh, but have an open mind. Maybe, maybe you think that that's going to be the best avenue, but there might be other great um, roles within a financial planning firm that might be a better fit. So number one, I think have an open mind. Number two, I work hard, you know, do what, whatever you need to do. Um, I think one thing that's similar to when I, uh, when I started and similar today is, you know, be the first one in and the last one out, you know, be available to help out in any way. Although your role might be X, if somebody within the firm asks you for help with Y, I would suggest do it. You may learn something that you will be able to keep with you for the rest of your career that may be uh, helpful. Uh, I think another thing is I would find a role where you're not only going to be working, but you're going to have some type of mentor relationship. Um, and What I mean by that is, for example, I, we just hired or I hired a, a client service manager in January. Uh, he comes to us with some background in financial services, relatively new, um, and basically the, one of his questions, which fit very nicely with uh, what I was planning on doing when he uh, was looking at the opportunity, was, am I going to be working directly with somebody to learn? And I think that that's a key, you know, if you're going to go work for a firm, I would try to work for a firm where you're not only going to be working for somebody. But you're also going to be working with them, meaning you're going to be able to learn from them. They're going to take you in on meetings. They're going to do a breakdown with the meeting. You, know, you really just want to be in this absorption phase because it's all stuff that if you you know, assuming you stay in the profession, uh, it's going to be helpful and i think 3 is i would go into it uh with the goal of obtaining your cfp i think it's i think it's a great differentiator uh it's something that i've used to differentiate myself uh it took me uh you know several years into the industry to uh sit down study and and pass uh, the CFP. But I think that that should be something the earlier you do, the better, uh, especially, you know, being a next generation, new, uh, new to the industry, young, you know, as you uh, get older in this industry, your life's going to become more complicated. You know, you may find somebody, get married, start having kids, buy a house, things get more complicated. It makes it that much more difficult to sit down and dedicate the time to the CFP. So I Think that's something that you should have in mind uh, very early
2: on if you are like most advisors you probably get lots of questions about medicare after all for many medicare is complicated confusing and leaves them with more questions than answers even for an experienced advisor medicare can be challenging but it's an important key to financial well-being United Healthcare is proud to team up with FPA to provide their members with help and information they need around Medicare. To learn more about how United Healthcare can help get your Medicare questions answered, call Bruce Lindsay at 920-661-4808.
1: Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.